you know, before I get started, I just want to acknowledge it's been a while since I've been up here talking to you all. Um, Bree and I have been through a season of personal tragedy, and so I just want to thank everyone in this room, everyone who's not in this room that has come alongside us over the past number of weeks, um, just truly amazing people in this community. You all, in your own ways, have, uh, have encouraged us, and so we just, we so appreciate it. That's the, the purpose of, of the body. That's why we come together. That's why we're here. So thank you. Um, one of the reasons that I'm so excited that we're having this series on our core values uh, is because it's an area where I think we've lacked structure in the past, in the history of this church. Uh, and I believe that there are some of us, myself included, who need to have our minds changed with regards to how we think about Oxford Vineyard as its own distinct representation uh, of the heart of God and the family of God in the Oxford community. So I want to read you this quote. This is from a book called Doing Church. It's um, just really at the core of like, how we do church in the vineyard. It's by a South African pastor. His name's Alexander Fenter. And uh, it says, values must be consciously reflected on because they give us the principles undergirding the way we operate and the criteria by which we evaluate all that we do. So that's wordy. But what is he saying here? What he's saying here is that core values are fundamentally important to the church because they are, like we've already discussed in this series, our, our guardrails that keep us on the road, that keep us going where we're going. And one of the most important pictures in my mind that was shared with us by the leadership team at Vineyard Church of Central Illinois uh, is the one that you see here on the screen. There. Um, it's a representation of the 12 tribes of Israel. Each of these 12 tribes had a particular identity associated with them that's represented by these images. This was one of the most helpful things for me in terms of thinking about different churches and denominations in a city or in a nation and why, why do they exist and why is it important that we actually lean into this and embrace this because there's a really popular dialogue, especially among evangelicals that like, you know, denominations and different divisions in the church, it's this negative thing and it's this thing that we get really down on and sad about and you know, we can take a different perspective. We can take a different perspective on that, that God is, is displaying himself. He's imaging himself to our communities and to our world differently through different faith communities. And when we understand it that way, we understand that each of us has a distinct purpose and a distinct identity uh, in terms of, you know, showing the world the kingdom that Jesus of Nazareth ushers in. So each of these tribes is represented by a defining characteristic of what made them who they were. And these were actually, each of these were um, sort of elements of the blessing that each of the, uh, the children of Jacob received from their father when these tribes were started, when the land of Israel was divided up and, and these tribes kind of became who they were. And so what I want you to look at here is, uh, you know, each of these things kind of represent something that each of the tribes would bring to the table. And if one tribe, you know, let's say the Levites um, sort of start shirking their duties and they don't produce priests for the nation of Israel, there's going to be a problem, right? Because we're going to have a priest shortage. And that was the thing that they were called to do. Uh, you see up here in the top corner, the, the little uh, balance scale, that's the tribe of Dan. And they were supposed to be producing judges and they actually didn't. 
And so what we see in the time of the judges, right, is this horribly turbulent time of uh, questionable leadership and awful things happening in Israel. And that was actually because this tribe didn't come through on their mandate from their father. They, they, they actually did not uh, live out this core value that was dictated to them by their father. And so as a result, there was chaos. And so when we neglect to acknowledge the significance of our individual church body, we are denying the significance of the blessing that God desires to pour out on his people um, through the, the mission of this particular church. And so when we say things like, well, we're not about Oxford Vineyard Church, you know, we're, we're about the whole kingdom. See, this is, a, this is a double-edged sword, right? Because John talked about kingdom vision, and this is absolutely true at the same time. So we want to have kingdom vision. We want to be focused on the kingdom as a whole and the church as a whole in the city of Oxford. But at the same time, if we neglect to look at this and say, hey, we've got an important mandate from the Lord. We've got important uh, you know, values and a mission and a vision that make us distinct in this community. If we throw that off, and say, well, we're just part of the whole church, and, you know, we, we don't have anything special to bring, and we just, whatever, then we actually ignore the mandate that we have. And so it's really important that we hold those two things in tension all the time, which is why I love those two core values, kingdom vision and Holy Spirit direction, because they, they keep us, uh, one makes us distinct from a lot of other churches, and the other keeps us rooted in the, church, in the, in the truth that we're part of something larger than ourselves as the church in the city. So what I want to do is I'm just going to read to you what our website says about Holy Spirit direction, and then we're just going to move on from that. So I haven't been uh, hitting the books quite as hard in the last couple weeks, so we're just going to read some scripture. I might tell you a couple stories. I'll have a couple book recommendations for you still, so don't be too disappointed. But what does our website say about Holy Spirit direction? It says, God the Father sent Jesus the Son, and during his time on the earth, Jesus promised to send the Spirit of God, who he called the Helper, to his people in order to advance the kingdom and build the church. That's going to be the context of what we discuss today. So then it goes on and says, For a long time and in many parts of the world, the gifts and manifestations of the Holy Spirit have been neglected or considered to have ceased. We choose to focus on him in our core values because we need the Holy Spirit's voice and gifts in our teams for direction and discernment, as well as in every area of our personal lives. So if that question comes up in your mind and you say, well, why do we have a core value about the Holy Spirit, but we don't have a core value about Jesus, and we don't have a core value about the Father? Well, first of all, I don't think they're jealous of each other. And second, it's because we're acknowledging uh, a whole in our practice and a whole in our theology over the course of church history. Uh, the direction of the Holy Spirit will never contradict the scriptures. Like Jesus in John 5.19, we only want to do what the Father is doing. John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard Movement, famously said, faith is spelled R-I-S-K and affectionately referred to partnering with the Holy Spirit to advance the kingdom as doing the stuff. So we're talking about doing the stuff when we're talking about uh, Holy Spirit direction. Therefore, we watch for opportunities to partner with the Holy Spirit, even if it feels like we might fail. We hold a naturally supernatural lifestyle in high regard. By naturally supernatural, we mean that when we are doing the stuff, we can be relaxed, comfortable, and real. 
See, a lot of churches and a lot of movements that do the stuff in partnership with the Holy Spirit, it almost feels like they go out of their way to make it extra weird. You know, but like when something supernatural is happening, it's already weird. It's already weird. It doesn't need our help to be weird. It's just weird. And so, and so if we are extra weird and we bring all this, this you know, more weird to the weird thing that's already happening, that, that's not really to our advantage. It doesn't get us ahead. We never have to do or say anything weird for the presence of God to come in the room by way of his Holy Spirit. We maintain an expectant attitude toward the Holy Spirit for breakthroughs in our personal lives, power in his ministry, encounter in our worship and direction and decision-making for us as individuals, families, and as a church. In a variety of settings, including our corporate ministry times on Sunday mornings, in our equipping classes like Sockham, Take Sockham, in discipleship and with our families, we're looking for opportunities to grow in relationship with the Holy Spirit. So let me pray, and then we're going to dive into some different scriptures that just kind of investigate this a little further. So Jesus, we, just, we invite your Spirit to be here among us. We ask for more of your presence, God, as we explore this value that makes us uh, part of who we are that you have dictated to us by your Holy Spirit, that you've given us as, a, uh, as one of those guardrails, as a direction for us as a church. We lean into it this morning. We ask you to speak to us about it, God. We want more of your direction. We just ask that you would visit us this morning uh, with your power for transformation, for healing, for teaching. In Jesus' name, amen. So for our main text this morning, we're going to focus on John chapter 16. Because in John chapter 16, Jesus makes some defining statements about the Holy Spirit to his disciples as he discusses what is going to happen when he ascends to the Father. So this is kind of a a monologue from Jesus where he's laying out a whole bunch of stuff and he's saying, okay guys, here's the deal. This is what's going to happen. This is how ministry is going to work when I'm not here um, physically anymore. And so we're going to read most of this chapter, and I'm going to stop at different points along the way to just kind of discuss what exactly is it that Jesus is saying to us about the Holy Spirit, and how does it pertain to you and I for today. So to get the context for this, we're actually going to start in chapter 14, when Jesus first promises the Holy Spirit to those who follow him uh, in the Gospel of John. So he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father And he will give you another helper to be with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by the Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So that's John 14, 15 to 21. So what's the first thing that Jesus sees fit to explain here? He calls the Holy Spirit the helper, the spirit of truth who dwells with them and in them. And that's the bedrock for this value of Holy Spirit direction. That's where we start. Do you know the Holy Spirit as helper? 
Some translations use the word advocate. I love that word, the word advocate, because Holy Spirit is constantly advocating for his people, and he's doing it from inside of us, and he's doing it from outside of us, and he is orchestrating events around us to our advantage. He's hijacking the plans of the enemy and causing them to work for our advantage. He's, he's hijacking tragic events that happen in our lives. He's hijacking the situations that look hopeless around us, and he is constantly doing the work of transforming those things into uh, experiences that will form us into the image of Christ. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about the idea of transformation later. Uh, but that's one of the things that we want to pray for during ministry time, is understanding Holy Spirit as helper. Because that's, that's the first and primary role that Jesus gives us for the Holy Spirit. And that's how he directs us, right? He's here to come alongside and to help us. Many of us understand that the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity, but I, I wonder sometimes, do we truly get that he lives inside of us and is constantly involved with each and every part of our lives? One of the most transformative things in my life was coming to the understanding that everywhere I go, I am taking the Holy Spirit with me. And I, you know, I have accepted Jesus. The Holy Spirit lives inside of me. And so in some sense, you know, don't hear what I'm not saying, but I am, the Holy Spirit is almost captive inside of like, my thoughts and my actions and the places I go and the things that I do. And it transformed the way that I thought about living my life when I realized that when I go into this situation, I'm taking the Holy Spirit with me. And when I say this harsh, evil thing to this person, I'm taking the Holy Spirit with me and misrepresenting him. And when I'm, when I'm impatient and when I'm unkind and when I'm those things, the Holy Spirit is stuck with me, Right? And, and so when I think about that reality that he's living inside of me and he's constantly with me and I'm in Christ and Christ is in me, it really transformed the way that I thought about living my life. One of the reasons that Holy Spirit direction is one of our core values is because we believe that he is truly directing our lives if we're paying close attention to what he's saying to us. So take Sockham. That was kind of a joke. You can laugh. But seriously, because what, what we're doing in School of Kingdom Ministry is we're trying to get people tools and trying to sharpen those tools to understand what it looks like to live life with the Holy Spirit and live life listening to what he's saying to us, taking in his, his advice, his direction, and trying to follow that direction. And so that's why that class is so fundamentally important to everything that we're doing here. So I'm going to keep reading in John 16. Jesus says, uh, but now... I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So, here Jesus says a few things about his ascension to the Father, and, you know, the disciples are sad about that. And then he says something interesting. It's better for him to go away so that the Holy Spirit might come to us. That's one of the hardest sayings of Jesus for me. That's one of the hardest sayings of Jesus for me because, you know, I don't know about you, but that's an extremely hard thing for me to live out sometimes. I mean, do you really believe that? Because I don't know if I actually believe that sometimes. That it's better that we have the Holy Spirit than to have Jesus in the flesh. 
Is that real to you? Like when you think about that, is that, is that seriously real? Because, you know, we get so concerned with our own inability to hear what the Holy Spirit's saying to us. Um, and we say things like, if only Jesus were here right in front of us to say what we needed to hear. Or if God would just speak louder with an audible voice from the heavens, then I would get it. And things would be easier. But Jesus is making a claim here that the exact opposite is true. And so for us to get in tune with that, we have to get in tune with the idea that the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us and his advocacy is coming from within. And so we read, you know, all the entire Old Testament is peppered with statements about God's still small voice, right? And then we read more in the, in the New Testament about discerning the will of God and understanding what it means to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. How does all that happen, right? Because it's really nice spiritual speak and we read it and it sounds good to us, but how do we live that out? And the way that we really live that out, in my opinion, is by constantly pestering the Holy Spirit because he's not going to get fed up with us and he's not going to say, hey, you've asked me too many times what to do. Please just decide on your own, right? He's not, he's not going to say like, okay, look, I've had it. These are all dumb questions and I can't, I can't have this anymore, okay? So just figure it out on your own. He's not going to do that. That's seriously not the case. And so when we talk about Holy Spirit direction, what we're talking about is for us as individuals, when we have important decisions to make, or when we have unimportant decisions to make, Holy Spirit is honored by our coming to him and consulting him in our decisions. As a family, when we have decisions to make, when we, have, uh, when we come to a crossroads, when we come to a difficult time, Holy Spirit is honored by our coming to him and saying, Holy Spirit, what would you have us do? And I've gotten answers from the Holy Spirit before that sound something like, do what you want. That's a real thing. Do you believe that? Do you think you'd be able to hear the Holy Spirit say that if that were actually the case? I've gotten answers before from the Holy Spirit that are like, go talk to this person and hear what they have to say. Or go read this or go read that. Or listen to this talk. He, he doesn't just give us the answer. He doesn't just answer our questions. Did you ever notice how when Jesus was asked a question, he always answered the question with a question? Do you know that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus? So when we ask the Holy Spirit a question, should we really expect a straight answer? I mean, I'm just being honest with you. Like, should we always expect a straight answer from the Holy Spirit? Or should we expect the, the Spirit of Jesus to respond in the Spirit of Jesus and ask us a question that drives us deeper into relationship with Him and deeper into relationship with other people? that causes us to, to yearn and to hunger for his truth, right? That pushes us deeper into the scriptures. Having the Bible actually gives the Holy Spirit an advantage in our lives. I was thinking, John and I were having a conversation a few weeks ago. This is fascinating to me. So when you think about the early church, right? On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people get attracted to, you know, this gathering that's, that's happening and Peter's speaking to them. 3,000 people get saved. How many of those 3,000 people had a Bible on their phone? Zero. So how did they do it? Right? How did they live this stuff out? After the day of Pentecost, they get filled with the Holy Spirit. They speak in tongues. They, whatever. And then what happens? How do they go about the rest of their lives without the Bible app? I'm serious. Holy Spirit direction is one of the original core values of the church of Jesus Christ. And we have got to keep that in our arsenal. Because if it's not, 
we're at a serious disadvantage. And, and we have got to keep the Bible in perspective. This is a tool for us to examine. So I thought I heard the Holy Spirit say this thing. Is it in there? And we don't have to be literal about it. We don't have to be legalistic about it. We don't have to be fundamentalists about it. But when we hear the Holy Spirit say something, his voice shouldn't contradict the scriptures. And so we get to, we get to open the pages of the Bible. We get to scan it. We make a lot less mistakes than the early church probably did, right? Because they didn't have the opportunity to do that. Amazing stuff. Because the Holy Spirit dwells inside you and I, his advocacy comes from within. While Jesus was a great teacher and leader, I've, I've started to uh, kind of understand what he's saying here when he says it's better that I go away, right? Because look at his own apostles. Look at the 12 or the 11. When did they really start to get it? When did they really start to get it? When did dynamic power become active in their lives, right? They look like fools in the gospel. I mean, I'm serious. Like, go back and look. They're asking dumb questions. They're praying for people. They're not getting healed. They're, they're just completely, there's moments where it's like, do you people have any faith? Like, Jesus is right in front of you, and Jesus asked them that question fairly regularly. And when they were, you know, wandering around Israel with Jesus for this three-year ministry of his, they were not walking in the dynamic power, the transformative power of the Holy Spirit, the same way they were after Jesus died, rose, ascended, and poured out the Holy Spirit on them. Because then, you know, you look at the rest of the book of Acts, and you look at the rest of the New Testament. The, the apostles are doing these powerful, dynamic works. How are they doing it? They're not doing it because Jesus is standing right in front of them in the flesh the entire time. They're doing it because they have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Their lives are transformed because they've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. When you look at Peter's life, right? Peter goes through an amazing uh, transformative experience, and Sarah Beth talked about that a few weeks ago. The real transformative power, it gets laid on real thick after the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. And then Peter goes on to do these incredibly powerful works. He comes to a powerful understanding of his identity in Christ, and, and it's amazing, right? Why does that happen? It's because the Holy Spirit came on him. It was not because Jesus was walking right beside him in the flesh the entire time. So let me talk to you about the next thing Jesus says. He says, uh, when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. I'm going to talk about this for a minute because this is one of the most transformative things uh, in my life concerning the role of the Holy Spirit and how I understand how he does the work that he does. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me, Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. This is an extremely powerful statement. We talk about this a little bit in School of Kingdom Ministry, too, so if you like this, take Sockham. People <laughs> often get really confused about the role of the Holy Spirit and what exactly he's doing in our lives. And I'll just be honest, like, you know, some of us are attracted to spiritual things and we're attracted to, you know, we see this stuff going on and we say, oh, that's the Holy Spirit or that's the Holy Spirit or that's the Holy Spirit because, you know, well, that was cool or that, you know, something wild happened there or they shook and fell on the floor or, you know, whatever it is, right? People get confused about what the Holy Spirit's role is and Jesus gives us a really clear definition of what he's doing in our lives, in the lives of people who do not yet believe and in the spiritual realm right here in these few verses. So, I love this. 
uh, Jesus is explaining this complicated thing that he said. That doesn't happen very often. Jesus says a lot of complicated things and just lets them hang there. But this time, Jesus says something kind of weird and cryptic, and then he explains it. He goes through, and he's like, here you go. This, this is what this means, and this is what this means, and this is what that means. So this has been one of the most helpful verses for me. First, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit convicts the world, listen to this, concerning sin because they do not believe in him. See, some people read this, and they think, in my personal life, the Holy Spirit's convicting me of sin, righteousness, and judgment. But that Jesus actually clarifies that's not what he's saying right here. He convicts the world concerning sin because they do not believe in him. So Jesus is addressing those who don't believe in him, and he's saying the Holy Spirit is doing the work of convicting them of their sin. Do you know what that means? That's not your job. That's what that means. It's not your job. It's the Holy Spirit's job, and Jesus specifically said, the Holy Spirit comes to convict people who don't yet know him of their sin. Boom, not your job. It's off your shoulders. Second, concerning righteousness. This is your job, so listen closely. Concerning righteousness, because Jesus has ascended to the Father, so our example of righteousness is gone, right? Our picture of righteousness before our eyes is gone because he's ascended to the Father and now has put the Holy Spirit inside those who believe, the Holy Spirit's job is to convict us of our righteousness. It's to be our internal regulator, to transform us into the kind of people who image Christ to the world around us. So what does it mean to be convicted of my righteousness? It means that, let's just look at it this way. When, when someone who doesn't yet know Jesus, when they're living in sin, and the Holy Spirit convicts them of their sin, that causes them to come to the realization, wait a minute, there must be more, right? There must be more to, to my life. There's got to be more going on here. And so they start to go on a journey. But for the believer, when the Holy Spirit convicts the believer of righteousness, when you're living outside of righteousness, what he's doing, he's not, he's not pointing at your sin and causing you to think there must be more because you already know there is more. So he's convicting you of the more that you're already aware of. He's saying, wait a minute, you're doing this, you're living this way, you're treating people this way, you're thinking of people like this. But the truth is, there's more, and you already know it. And so he's convicting you of the righteousness that you're supposed to be living out. That totally changed the way that I thought about sin in my own life. That totally changed the way that I thought about sin in the lives of my fellow believers. Because all of a sudden, the narrative isn't anymore, John, I see you doing this thing. That's a bad thing. And now the narrative is, John, remember your righteousness. Remember that you're a son, right? Remember that you're chosen, that you're holy, that you're picked out, that, that you are the righteousness of God. And I've been able to pray that prayer over so many more believers because of this understanding, that that's what the Holy Spirit's saying to them. He's not saying, look at your sin, be filled with shame, right? Be filled, no, he's not saying that. He's saying, look, I've already made you righteous and you know it, so start living it. Finally, judgment. This is a hard one, right? We've talked about this in, in recent uh, weeks and months with current events and so on and so forth. The Holy Spirit convicts the spiritual realm of judgment. This is the unseen battle 
that is being waged around us. This is spiritual warfare. As we discuss it, that Jesus says concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Who's the ruler of this world? Satan, the accuser, right? Jesus understands the accuser to be the ruler of this world. And so what he's saying is that the Holy Spirit is convicting the accuser of judgment. He is not convicting you of judgment. The Holy Spirit, I'm, I'm going to say this, the Holy Spirit is not speaking judgment through preachers. Hear that. The Holy Spirit is not speaking judgment through preachers. His job is to let the dark spiritual forces of the world know they're judged. Okay? And so unless you are literally a demon, then judgment shouldn't be preached to you. That was supposed to be kind of funny. That is not the purpose of the Holy Spirit in your life. And so when you're feeling judgment coming from the church, when you're feeling judgment coming from prophets, and you're feeling, you're feeling this intense judgment that drives people out of the church, that's wrong. That's demonic. That is not the Holy Spirit's job. The Holy Spirit's job is to convict you of your righteousness. Come on. The final thing that I want to emphasize to you is the Holy Spirit's role, as Jesus laid it out, was primarily unto transformation in our lives. I kind of dropped that word earlier. Transformation can be kind of a buzzword in Christianity today. We talk about being transformed all the time. But what does it look like for us to live transformation? You know, because we hear people say, like, if you're not being transformed, you know, then you're not in relationship with God or whatever. Your life should evidence transformation. And we say that, but it's easy to say, it's hard to do. We often put our attention and our energy towards stopping the destructive things that we do, right? We, we look at our character flaws and we look at things that uh, we, we sometimes fall into that we wish we didn't. And we, we try to um, strive to transform ourselves and transform our behavior and uh, do things that way. And that's actually not the way that Jesus would have us do it. The Holy Spirit would have us be transformed into the kind of person who doesn't consider those things, right? It's not about modifying your behavior. It's about modifying your spirit to reflect the spirit of Jesus. And so when we're talking about what it means to be formed in the Holy Spirit, um, one of my favorite authors, Dallas Willard, says this in his book, The Divine Conspiracy. So that's your first book recommendation, or second book recommendation of the day, The Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard. He says, actual discipleship or apprenticeship to Jesus is, in our day, no longer thought of as in any way essential to faith in him. So I'm going to pause for a second. How do most people think of Jesus? Savior, right? Jesus is Savior. And as one of my favorite teachers, Brian Zahn, puts it, uh, Jesus, Jesus gets relegated to the Secretary of Afterlife Affairs as just Savior, and then I remain Lord, right? Or someone else remains Lord. The President remains Lord, or somebody, Right? Because this is a political statement that Jesus is making, that the disciples are making when they say Jesus is Lord. Because that was Caesar's title, Lord. That was what they had to confess. That's what their money said. Caesar is Lord. And so when we confess Jesus is Lord, what we're doing is we're actually handing over the keys to our life. We're handing over the keys to our decisions. We're handing over the keys to whose jurisdiction we're under. 
to Jesus. And being formed, being transformed as a disciple of Jesus involves doing this walk of discipleship, transformation, apprenticeship with him. So Dallas Willard continues, it's regarded as a costly option, a spiritual luxury, or possibly even an evasion. Why bother with discipleship? It is widely taught. Or for that matter, a conversational relationship with God. Let us get on with what we have to do. This is a powerful statement that he's making here because what he's saying is walking with the Holy Spirit, doing life with Jesus, being transformed, is not primarily about doing. And we can fall into that trap sometimes. We can think about, well, Holy Spirit direction, that's about prophetic words, and that's about words of knowledge, and that's about words of wisdom, and that's about gifts of healing. But those are just the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But in that package, we also have to deal with the, fruits, uh, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We have to deal with what it looks like to walk with him and be transformed by him. And so we can't just pigeonhole this thing into you know, the charismatic gifts of the Holy Spirit and then forget about everything else. That's in- incredibly important. It's fundamentally important. And I, I read that in my statement earlier that you know, this, this is what's been historically neglected by the church. But truly being transformed by the presence of Jesus through the Holy Spirit means walking with him doing life with him, and literally giving him the keys to your life. And that, that's hard. That's a hard thing. But if we're being honest, most of the things that Jesus taught were hard and caused people to walk away, right? And so when we have people say, you know, oh, well, people leave, they'll be offended by this teaching, whatever, their teaching's actually offensive. It's just like not good and it's offensive. But this is the teaching that people, people left for a reason. It's because this is a hard thing. Giving over the keys to your life, giving over the rights to your decisions, giving over the, the authority over your direction to the Holy Spirit. That's what actually caused people to walk away. Not because they heard Jesus say something and they were like, oh, that offends my cultural sensibilities. No, it was because it was actually a difficult thing to walk out. When the blind man comes to him and wants healed and Jesus spits in the dirt and puts mud over his eyes, offensive. But what are you going to do? He's got to make a decision. Is he going to is he going to lean into Jesus? Is he going to give over the keys to his pride? Is he going to give over the keys to his uh, cultural sensibilities or is he going to wash the mud off of his eyes and be healed? When Jesus talks to the rich young ruler and says you've got to give everything away because he knows that that's the one thing that's in his way of giving the keys over to Holy Spirit and living his life the way that Jesus intends for him to live his life. That's the offensive message that causes people to walk away. Not being crude or rude or mean to people, right? It's actually just because it's a hard thing to live. Truth is one of the most important elements in the entire story of the Bible, right? In the, in the very beginning, in the garden, we have this story about uh, the, the tree of you know, good and evil, and and understanding what it is to uh, have morality and so on and so forth, and people chase after that. The best thing is that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, and the thing that humanity has pursued from the very beginning, the thing that they've longed for, to be like God, right? Holy Spirit lives inside of us. The spirit of truth lives inside of us, and we don't have to reach for for the forbidden fruit anymore, Because Jesus has put that knowledge inside of you and I. 
And so what we need to do is get in touch with that and figure out what it looks like for each of us to understand what he's saying to us. And it's going to be different for all of us. It's going to be different for all of us, but we've got to go on that journey together. We have a responsibility to be transformed by our relationship with God, by the Holy Spirit. The New Testament is full of verses like these. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We hear that one all the time, right? But I almost feel like some people throw the rest out after do not be conformed to this world. I've said it before. I think I said it at Sockham once. Fundamentalists, fundamentalists, people who, who just look at the Bible, they don't read into the context, and they use the Bible as a weapon, they're in, war, they're in a war with culture. They're in a war with culture. True followers of Jesus are living to transform culture. True followers of Jesus aren't in a war with the world around us. We are pursuing the world around us in love. And I think that's what it's saying here. So we can't afford to stop at do not be conformed to this world. We have to read the rest. We have to have our minds renewed. We have to discern the will of God, what's good and acceptable and perfect, and do so by the Holy Spirit. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is spirit. 2 Corinthians 3.18, another one that we read all the time. We read it so often that we can almost skip over it. But read that. That's the intent behind being transformed by the Holy Spirit. With unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. In Old Covenant terms, that was not allowed. You'd die. Being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. That sounds like being convicted of my righteousness. Yeah? Not being convicted of judgment or being convicted of sin. That's being convicted of righteousness. Being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. One of the last little things that I just wanted to mention. Did you know that the Holy Spirit has a personality and it's the personality of Jesus? We kind of hinted at this already. But some people, some people are like, oh, the Holy Spirit is, you know, this intense, like, Holy Spirit's always, you know, scary and, like, weird and whatever. Is Jesus always scary and weird and whatever? No. Like, the Holy Spirit reflects the personality of Jesus. And I was just meditating on that a few months ago, and it was, it was changing my mind about the Holy Spirit, honestly, because it's like, wait a minute, what's Holy Spirit like? Because we have examples of God the Father in the Old Testament, we have this picture built up in our mind, and we have examples of Jesus and the character of Jesus, and, you know, if Jesus was a person, we know uh, how he might act and sort of what he would look like, and uh, Holy Spirit's just one of those things that, you know, if we're not careful, our mind is just kind of left to determine what his personality is like on our own. And so we've got to be rooted in the truth that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. His personality is the personality of Jesus. And so if somebody starts doing something or saying something or claiming something in the name of the Holy Spirit that it doesn't seem like Jesus would do, be skeptical. Be skeptical of that. Because Holy Spirit, I mean, look at the, look at the fruit of the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. 
and that's what our transformation lo- should look like. So I'm going to pray. While I'm praying, worship team can come up, and uh, we're going to worship. We're going to have some ministry time. But I just want to invite Holy Spirit to come and begin that transformative work in some of our lives, to continue it in some of our lives, to show us how it might look different in some of our lives than we would have already thought. So Jesus, we just invite more of your spirit here to be among us, to touch us, to transform us. God, we need your character. We need your image and likeness to be evidenced to the world around us. So Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would come even more right now. Highlight areas in our minds where we need to be transformed. Highlight thought patterns. Highlight relationships and ways that we've treated people and, and things that we have thought that are um, an abuse to your character and convict us of our righteousness. Convict us of our righteousness this morning, Holy Spirit. Come and visit us. We need more of you. I would just encourage you, allow your mind to dwell on areas where you want to be transformed as you worship. Because our relationship with the Holy Spirit should be transformative. Our worship in and by the Holy Spirit should be transformative. He will transform you as you worship. Amen.